You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I sit down with Eric Sue to talk about the importance of using the correct digital marketing strategies to further your business or side hustle. Eric is the chairman of Single Grain, a leading digital marketing agency. He is also a consultant on all things digital marketing and advertising, from SEO to social media, the host of the Leveling Up podcast, and the co-host of the Marketing School podcast with Neil Patel. There's no doubt about it. Building a brand in the digital space can have a huge effect on your business. Even as the landscape is constantly changing, the ones who stay ahead of the curve are often those who come out on top. In our conversation, Eric discusses a lot of these strategies that will help anyone looking to leverage social media and other online marketing tactics. As I continue to grow my own personal brand and grow this podcast brand, I learn a lot of what I'm doing from this week's guest. So without further delay, let's jump right in. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Millennial Investing Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and today we'll be talking entrepreneurship, digital marketing and social media with Eric Sue. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I've been following your podcast and your other work for some time now. But for those who aren't familiar with you, tell us a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, my name's Eric Sue, and I do a couple of different things, but I, I, my overall mission is to help the entire world level up. And immediately people scoff at them and be like, that's never going to happen. And that's the whole point of, of having a mission, right? It's supposed to be untainable. For all intents and purposes, you know that all comes down from you know, my playing games before esports became a thing, and now business is basically my canvas for that. I have my podcast you mentioned. I have my ad agency, Single Grain. I have a software company called ClickFlow, and then we do events and all these other things. Right. The only reason I do all these other things is just to prove to everyone that you can do whatever you put your mind to, as long as you keep focusing on leveling up. And the book I have coming out is called Leveling Up. So. Everything stems from that mission, and that's only that's the reason why I do what I do. A few of the specific things I'd like to cover in the episode today are entrepreneurship, side hustles, and digital marketing. First, let's talk about entrepreneurship. What made you want to become an entrepreneur and start a business in a space that I would personally consider to be very competitive? Well, there's there's no simple answer for this one. The ad agency I took over a single grain. Um, it wasn't a company that I started, so I took over a failing company and. My whole bet was if the company would fail, I would basically, the way I set up the deal was if the company failed, I would basically own nothing. And I basically bought the company for $2 out of pocket, right? One, $1 for 10% of my podcast co host, Neil Patel's shares, and another guy bought his shares for 10%. And the rest were paid through the profits of the company with the contingency of company failed, I'd own nothing. Now, definitely agree that, you know, digital marketing in general, I think any type of agency business is very competitive. But I do think that there is, there's room for everyone to kind of start out um, with the agency business because there is so much opportunity out there. There's, there's so much business out there. And so you know, that's why when I look at... And by the way, I have a program called the Agency Accelerator. And there's a lot of people that come through. And um, you know, before they know it, they're quitting their jobs and they're doing well, doing consulting. I have one person that came through the program. And you know, now they're making seven figures a year. And they just have like, like a couple of remote employees. So I think... Um, as competitive as it is, there's a lot of business out there. I think the key thing is you know, focusing on your niche and then being really good at a, one or two key things. And it's going to work out for most people. So overall, when I think about business, 
I've always thought going back to my gaming days, if I could just the energy I had playing games, if I could just apply it to something else that was related to real life, I would do fine, right? And then that canvas happens to be business. And so I don't think it matters how competitive it is for most. I think for most businesses, most people can figure out as long as they put the time and effort into it. And but the key to key thing to make that happen easier said than done is to actually like what you do. Why did you want to buy a business instead of just starting it from scratch, especially one that's failing? When you look at the company, what I had at a time, it had employees already. It had some type of structure already, so it was ahead in terms of the time I would save. So let's say you know the company was around. So the company started in 2009. I took it over in 2014. So there's five years of experience right there, five years of kind of getting ahead that I normally wouldn't get. And so I had a head start there. There was not a lot of risk. And there's not like, I think when you try to start something out, you're basically pushing a rock up a hill. At least in this scenario, sure, the company was failing, but at least the rock in terms of structure was ahead. So I thought I had something to work with. And I thought the upside was unlimited for me. And the downside was very limited. So it just made a lot more sense to do that. And by the way, I did start an agency before that, but it took some time to get going. It took so long to get going that I actually ended up going to you know, take over as an executive leading marketing for a, for a tech startup. And when you went to acquire Single Grain, what made you want to go about that type of structure? And how'd you, even, how'd you negotiate that? I was just thinking about the shares were worth nothing to two people. I mean, you're always looking at what, what's important to people, right? I, I knew two of the partners didn't care for the business anymore. The other ones, I mean, they were kind of checked out as well. So I knew I could get a really good deal. I, I knew they just wanted some cash. And most people don't think about when, they, when they're doing a deal, sure, the price is important, but the price is not the most important thing. The most important thing is the terms of the structure. So the terms of the deal. So if I'm saying, hey, I'm going to pay you, you know, 100 or 150 grand off the profits, and you know, I'm going to pay you $2 up front, I'm basically paying nothing out of pocket. So there's a lot of creative ways to skin a cat. I think you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the most impressive deal maker in the world, but I think those of you that are thinking about doing something, it's price is just one element. Maybe let the other person win on price, but you win on all the other terms of the deal, and then you know you're going to go much further in life. Why did you want to acquire a business that was failing? How did you know that you had a way to turn around that company when the people operating it? Maybe didn't, or how did you? How were you confident that you could do something with that business that the current owners or operators weren't? I don't think you ever really know what you're doing, but you look at the long term. If the long term is, if I put in the effort here, and what's the upside, right? Like, am I going to regret not having done this by age eighty, right? The regret minimization framework that comes from Amazon's Jeff Bezos. So, you know, I I took it over because I just thought like I really didn't have much to lose, and I thought if I structured, and by the way. The initial structure I came up with when I took over the company was a complete failure. I decided to move the company from being an SEO agency to becoming a content marketing agency because it seemed very logical because the two are, are kind of close together when it comes to marketing. Similar services, right? Just a couple of changes. Now, I ended up making a really bad hire. I, and that was my fault, right? I'm going to take full responsibility for it. And I let my people... I read this book called Let, let Your People Go Surfing. And it was from the Patagonia founder. And I, I literally let them go surfing. It's about not micromanaging people. It's letting them do their thing. It's trusting them. So I took that word for word and I let them go surfing. And that led to people watching Family Guy and eating chips in the office when I wasn't there. Nothing wrong with eating chips, but I mean, you're just like watching Family Guy and like, you know, lounging around. So I basically, in the first year, had no clue what I was doing, right? I thought I knew better than the other people, did not. We dropped all the way down to one employee. And um, you know, my outside accounting firm called me and said, Hey, it might be time to shut this thing down. And so, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I didn't know what I was doing. It was a complete failure. 
but I stuck with it. And it's, it's a similar story kind of across the board for me. I, I'm, if you look at single grain, I stuck with it. It took three years, two, maybe two and a half, three years to start to, to ramp up. But when you look at anything else in business, and Neil and I, we talk about this on the Marketing School podcast, when you start anything, it typically takes two, three, maybe even four years to really start to get something going. So the same thing with my, my podcast, Leveling Up. First one took about three years to really get going. First year, nine downloads a day. And then the second year, 30 downloads a day. And then you know you ramp up to you know where we are today. I mean, cumulatively right now, I think we're reaching like 1.3 million people a month in terms of downloads. So you, you do the math there, right? It's just, it takes time to build the initial foundation. I think that's something I want to stress to everyone. Like if you're going to start something, don't expect immediate results because usually it's easy come, easy go. But um, you know, you, you, you wait it out for three to four years and then you tough it out. You're going to learn a lot and no doubt you're going to be hopefully learning from those lessons and you know, building something for the long term. How can someone who's a millennial listening to the show, whether it be about a side hustle or as a business, how can they overcome that psychological battle that they're going to have of instant gratification? And because when you talk about having to wait for things to evolve and actually flourish, I think a lot of people have trouble with that. And if they don't see results within the first three months, six months, even a year is considered long for a lot of people these days because of all the ways that we can get new information instantly, all the ways we can get things delivered to our door instantly, just all the ways that we can get things at the snap of our fingers. Everybody wants things quick. So how can people overcome that idea and really understand that what they're building is going to take time? It comes with personal growth, you know, motivation and learning on your own, right? Like the, the way I look at it, and this is in the, the book Leveling Up, life is a series of building the right power-ups, right? And power-ups to me, it's just basically habits, right? You know, sure, people talk about on podcasts all the time, what's your daily routine? It's like I meditate, I do all of this stuff, I work out, whatever. But those are all habits that you build in and you keep sticking with the habits and then things compound over time. It's like, you know, you study compound interest, you study successful people, you read their biographies, and you just realize that, you know, people say Rome wasn't built in a day. It just takes a long time. And if you're unwilling to accept that reality, then that's fine. Just go be most people. This is why most people are most people. This is why there's a word average because they're not willing to do the things that the successful people are willing to do. And successful people build the right power-ups. They build the right habits. And then it compounds. And they, they're constantly learning. They're trying to get more, partly because they might have a chip on their shoulder, partly because they're hungry. They might have their own motivations, but that's what it is. Was there a moment in your life for you where it just hit you and you knew that you were meant to be an entrepreneur? Or has it just kind of evolved organically over time? I think the reason why I, I wrote the book too was because I think of like when you're playing games, you're constantly leveling up. I think you know life too, you're constantly leveling up. And I've always wanted to just play a game the rest of my life. And I've honestly, when I feel like I'm waking up every day, even during these times, you know, time of this recording, we're, we're dealing with COVID-19. And yeah, I mean, I'm definitely worried. I'm definitely scared. But I was on a call with 50 other entrepreneurs today. And you know, all of them are, are literally like, you can see fear in their eyes, right? But for me, I was just thinking about it. And I was like, you know, I, I, feel, I feel more motivated than anything right now. And so I think going back to your question, I'm not sure I'm answering your question directly, but hopefully it helps a little bit. I'm actually staring. So I'm in downtown LA right now. And I'm staring at the, the, the place where I got my first full-time job. And um, I can see the tower from here. And I realized because I would come into work and then I was, was, I was doing data entry. I was getting paid like $32,000 a year coming out of, which is not good, no matter where you are from the, in the world. I mean, I just couldn't survive off of that. Right. And so, you know, I would come in, I would hide in the back and I would play poker. And then I realized I'll play online poker. I wouldn't even do work. And then I would just, I get my, I get my work done fairly quickly in like an hour or two. And the rest of the time I'm just messing around. I'm like, man, this is it. And so I realized that I had to do something else. I had to, you know, find something fulfilling. And 
at the moment, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to um, study something that's interesting and then just kind of go from there. And what I realized was, so I found a marketing internship. I started learning marketing. And then I was like, what's next? I started learning SEO. And then I was like, okay, I started learning paid advertising. I was like, okay, what's next? And then after that, you learn how to manage people. You learn affiliate marketing. You learn all these things. So you're also powering up in business too, right? No matter what you're doing. So for me, I was going down the marketing path. And then you get to a point where it's like, okay, you learn how to negotiate a deal, like how I negotiated the single running thing. So it's, it's a series. To answer your question directly, it's a series of leveling up to get to where I was at. But it's constantly being curious and thinking about, and then what? And then what? And then what? And then eventually, you, know, you just keep growing, you're growing, you're growing. And then you get old and then you, you realize, you know, hey, you know, I, I played a pretty good game and now it's time for me to go. And you know, that's it. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com MI. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash MI for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. We briefly 
talked about this earlier, but I want to talk about how you've been able to differentiate yourself in a competitive market. Is it really just that there's an abundance out there and if you keep doing what you guys are doing, you'll get enough clients to grow the business? Or are you really doing specific things to differentiate yourselves? Especially in the services business, I think for even software products as well, you have to think about... The problem is a lot of services businesses, they try to be everything to everyone. They want to work with all the brands. They want to do all the things. They want to have big staff. It's, it's a lot of it's like... A lot of it's very ego-driven. And so what you should do as a... I'm talking about myself, when I think about single grain, we are very focused on working with just a few, a handful of categories, right? So software as a service is a category for us, online education, e-commerce, but we don't really try to go beyond that. And we focus on like one or two core services, you know, paid media and SEO. And we don't try to be everything to everyone. And like, that's what we're good for. And so when you're able to do that, when you get on calls with people, sales calls, they ask, Hey, how, how many software companies have you worked with? We say, that's one of the specific focuses for us. They like hearing that a lot more because of the experience that you've built around that, you're able to do better work because you have industry knowledge and, you're, and your attention is not split. So especially if you're in services, you have to figure out how you can really kind of narrow down what your specialty is. Because think about it, specialty doctors, specialty surgeons, they get paid a lot more money than kind of general practice doctors. So think about how you can you know, really narrow down and then people are going to you know, pay you a higher dollar because you happen to specialize in the area that they need help in. You've talked about how digital marketing agencies are falling behind the curve because the business model is broken. Why is the model broken and what has changed? Most agencies, uh, I'm going to talk about digital marketing agencies here. So they'll charge you, they'll be like, hey, okay, you know what? Um, you, need, you need paid media services or SEO services. So we'll, we will charge you $5,000 a month or something like that. I'm just making numbers up right now. So $5,000 a month. And you know, you're going to be on a contract for 12 months. Now think about it. If I'm doing work for you, Robert, so let's say I'm running ads for you, do you think I'm going to be incentivized to bring all the value I can bring in the first month? If we're on a 12-month agreement, or even let's say we're on a month-to-month agreement, right? Even, even worse, month-to-month, and you know, I'm working with you, I'm not going to be incentivized to bring you the best possible work I can bring. I want to spread out all my ideas over 12 months because I want to continually show you that I'm bringing value. And I want to show you that it's worth it to continue paying me five grand a month. Now, that sucks because the incentives are not aligned. My incentive is to drag it out as long as I can. And then your incentive is as soon as you start to see the campaign perform, you fire me, right? Like I know both sides. Like I have a bunch of friends. You know, we often joke about how agencies, it's good to kind of just, you know, hire them for a little bit and then sack them once they have the account set up. So you got to think about, you know, Charlie Munger talks about incentives all the time. Now, if you wanted to incentivize the partnership the right way, what you would say is this. Hey, Robert, so instead of charging you anything, how about this? You pay me for every sale that I drive. You, let's say you pay me you know, $50 or whatever. And then, you know, hey, after I drive you 100 sales, maybe you pay me five grand after that. The incentives are aligned there because I'm going to do everything in my power because I'm spending the money, I'm fronting the cash, and you're paying only on performance. So you pay when I perform. And then at the same time, I'm going to bring you all the great ideas. And if the thing's really working, I'm going to scale the crap out of it. So you're not only paying me more money, you're also getting more sales. So you like that. I like that. It's a better relationship. It's also riskier. This is why most people don't do it. But if you think about how you can structure, if you can structure the deal correctly or structure it where it's, it's not as dangerous to you, where maybe you have them pay like the first five grand of ad spend or whatever, then it might be a lot less risky and it's going to be a better partnership because you're willing to take the risk because it's a little more balanced. Do you think over time we're going to see the industry or the business model go almost solely that way? 
I don't know about that. I think a lot of people, it's interesting. Whenever I talk to entrepreneurs, I remember one time I was, I was talking to a potential, they're like a coach, executive coaching company. So I wanted to hire them to, to help my team. And the guy was like, honestly, when you first said agency, I was so turned off because like agencies just don't bring value. And people have this perception. Most people do. They, you can see the win that is, they get the win knocked out of them when you say like you run an agency. Now versus, I, I've tested this before. When I say I run a software company, there's a lot more respect there, right? So the, I don't think most people are going to do it because they don't want to be held accountable. That's the thing. Most people like to, a lot of these big holding companies, they're, the game that they're playing now is they're just getting bigger and bigger. And then they go buy a smaller agencies and they get bigger. And then another big agency comes in and it gobbles them up. And then there's just like a couple of holding companies like WPP. I think that model will be destroyed soon. But to answer your question directly, I do not think a lot of people are willing to be held accountable and be willing to grow, which is what this type of model requires. Some of the different things that you do as part of your business, such as your YouTube channel, your blog, or podcast even, are popular side hustles that a lot of people are considering right now. If someone was going to start a brand new side hustle today, which of those three would you recommend they start with? Or maybe it's too late to start a YouTube channel, blog, or even podcast, and now it's something else? I think today specifically, um, there's two things. One, it would be podcasts because it's, there's only 700,000 podcasts in the world as of this recording, maybe 800,000 or so. Now you have over a billion websites in the world. So it's, it's a lot more competitive. Now podcast, you can charge a good amount. You can do a subscription. You can charge for advertising and you can do events. Like That's basically what I do with Neil on the Marketing School podcast. I think the other thing you could do is build an email subscription type of business. Meaning if you look at the hustle.co, they have an eight-figure business and they just they write newsletters and email is good. Copywriting is, is still very important. So I, I think I would approach it that way try to drive subscriptions through email or try to build a podcast audience. When it comes to having a personal brand, how important is that in today's world? I think it's important to an extent. So, you know, look, if you're most personal brands, like if you're too tied to the company, you're not going to have any enterprise value when you're trying to sell it, right? For the most part, look, if you're like a, I know, I know there's like, you know, brands out there like Tom Ford and all there's like names, right? But I would say for, for the you know, majority of people, I think, Trying to build a brand for the company, I think that's that's powerful, right? That has enterprise value in it. It's certainly helpful to have a personal brand. Like when I look at things that I do or the things that, you know, other brands like Kylie Jenner's of the world, like, you know, by the way, when I say brand for me, it's like micro brand in the marketing world. Kylie Jenner is just known by everyone. It, it's definitely helpful. Like people will listen to the podcast or watch videos or watch me speak or something. And that definitely it shortens sales cycles and um, it builds credibility and it drives leads for sure. It certainly is a benefit because when I want people, when I want to take calls with people in the marketing industry you know, related to my software, like I'm able to get calls just like that. So I do think a brand, maybe not just a personal brand, but maybe a brand for your company, it is a very defensible moat because nowadays I think a lot of people are just, it's easier to build products now because a lot of people can just copy each other, right? I think what's difficult to copy is building an audience. That's basically what you're doing. So whether it's an audience for your company or for yourself, uh, that's very defensible because nobody can ever just copy that because you're being you. And um, I think that's that's worth its weight in gold. Is it important for people who have no desire to become an entrepreneur or even have their own side hustle for them to build a personal brand if they're continuing their career as an employee? I don't think they need to build a personal brand. I think a side hustle is important. I think that's the more important thing. It's it's just like, you know, I was talking to another guy, you know, another entrepreneur couple months ago. And he was just like, man, you know, it, it sucks being an employee because at any moment you could be laid off, you could be fired and there's nothing you can do about it. You have no control. So you want to have some type of control. Like even if you're working somewhere, let's say you're making, you know, $50,000, $60,000 a year and your side hustle generates extra 10 or $20,000 for the year. Like 
that's at least something you can fall back on where if you get fired, you can go all in on that thing and just really watch it grow. So I, I think in your life, I mean, you want to you want to be able to hedge. And I, I think just today, like being on that call with 50 other entrepreneurs, most of them bet all their, their eggs in one basket. And, you know, People talk about you should focus on one business. But I think once you get one business working, try to build some side hustles around the business as well. And then, then you can kind of protect yourself, right? Because a lot of them, it's like they're lost 80% of their business or getting no business right now. This is the same thing as, as being an employee. If you bet everything on one job, it, no matter how hard you work, it could all go away in one day. A lot of people are getting laid off as employees and a lot of businesses are being forced to close. So if you only have one business right. or one job, you know, you're kind of in trouble. Yep. 100%. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. 
By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. I've heard Gary V talk a lot about LinkedIn and TikTok these days. Are these the best platforms for someone to build a brand or are all the other platforms dead? No, the other platforms aren't dead. And then I would say for TikTok and LinkedIn, I think it just depends on the audience that you're going after. I think you know if you're going for a younger crowd, then Snap makes sense. TikTok makes sense. I think if you're going more B2B, LinkedIn definitely makes sense, organic reach. But you know, LinkedIn has a lot of broertry going on right now too. Meaning, you know, people write about, hey, you know, I failed here. This is why I'm successful. And then it's a lot of kind of flexing with not a lot of value. But if you do well with with LinkedIn, like for us, you know, we post carousels, we post our videos on there and they do well, they get reach and they actually get us leads. So yeah, potentially I think if you're B2B, you know, more serious audience, you go LinkedIn. If you're looking to sell, you know, consumer products and it's to a younger audience, you go TikTok, you go Snap, because especially reach on on TikTok right now is still strong, but who knows how long that how much longer that's gonna stick for. I'm personally relatively new to social media. Before I started this podcast a little over six months ago, I didn't have any social media. I'm all over them now. But one of the hardest things for me is that it takes a long time to create good content. And without a big following on social, the posts don't get a ton of engagement. So it almost seems like a waste of time. How can people listening to the show today dealing with a similar situation overcome this? Should we continue to power on and just continue to post great content as consistently as possible? So I think in the very beginning, if I'm starting out, because I'm, I'm trying to think about like, you know, millennials that are starting out. And by the way, I, I'm still a millennial. But when I think about starting out, it's, it was in hindsight, I started the Growth Everywhere podcast now called Leveling Up. At the same time, I was trying to save single grain. And I should have put all my focus completely into single grain, like getting revenue and, you know, making sure people survive, making sure the company survives. Like that is the number one thing. Like in the very early days, you take every single client you can get, you take every customer, you just make sure you can get revenue. Once you start to get that machine going, then you very quickly figure out how you can diversify and how you can make sure you defend yourself, right? Whether it's you know starting to build a build a brand as soon as you can, as it's feasible, and starting to think about once you have some some area saturated, let's say you're offering, I don't know, influencer marketing, maybe you move to the next step, maybe you offer paid marketing. And so you figure out how you can diversify. And if one kind of revenue stream fades away, you still have a backup, right? So at least you have one type of backup. I don't like just betting everything on on, on one thing again, because like I said, today, today was a very cautionary tale. Like, Again, you have 50 people in the room and like 95% of them are in completely worried. They look devastated on their faces. But the ones that have adapted and the ones that have kind of you know been a little more dynamic, those are the ones that will survive for the long term. So tying all of this talk about branding and social media back to stock investing, because a lot of the people listening to the show are avid stock investors. Do you think there's an edge to be gained by stock investors investing in companies that are excelling with their social media presence and growing their brand? using today's online platforms? Not really. I mean, here's how I look at it. So you know, when it comes to stock investing, especially we're, we're talking about you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 right now, it's a great opportunity right now to buy. And the way I look at stock investing is if you look at Amazon, the way they do their marketing, it's not like their marketing is, is really good. They don't have like a... you know, Jeff Bezos doesn't go around posting to social media all the time. Elon Musk, he posts to Twitter, right? Um, so he's a, he's a nice brand for Tesla, but Tesla itself is, is a strong brand. The reason I'm bringing up Amazon right now, I, I look at Amazon, I look at Tesla, I look at Nvidia, I even look at Alphabet, Shopify, these types of companies. They don't really have strong personal brands at the top. But what they do have is they have a strong long-term outlook and they have strong uh, fundamentals. And I, I 
the way I look at stock investing is just you pick a couple, you know, rule one investing. You don't try to invest in a bunch of different things. You invest in what you understand. Try to buy something that you wouldn't mind dropping down during a downturn. You just happen to buy it at a good price right now. I talked about deal terms earlier. It's one of the things, key things when you do a deal is you make money on the buy. So now's a good time to do it, but you just invest in long term. Forget about the brands. You just think about, forget about what they're doing on social media side. But what I would say is not, not forget about the brand. Think about what their brand actually means because a brand is a story. A brand is what, how you feel about them, right? So if you feel good about the company, you understand the fundamentals, you understand the business, forget about what they're posting to social media. To me, that's almost irrelevant and focus on, hey, I think they're going to be around for the long term. I like what they're doing. I think they have a good CEO and um, you, know, you go in. Do you think a good digital strategy or just a good social media strategy for a smaller company that's public? So, you know, away from your large cap companies, but maybe going to a small cap company who's really doing well with digital marketing and just online branding. Do you think that's a good way for them to be able to differentiate themselves? And that could be a good indicator as an investment, or is that not a good way to think about it? I don't think, yeah, I wouldn't really tie like, um, Stock marketing investing to how well they're doing from just like a on the on the social side. Here's here's the thing, right? If you look at Casper, I think they do good marketing, but terrible fundamentals around the business. And um, who knows what's going to happen to them, right? I definitely would not invest. By the way, I, I'm not like you know. By the way, this is uh, my disclaimer. I'm not like a certified financial advisor or whatever. So the other thing I would say too is look at Blue Apron. I don't know how well they're doing well on social media right now, but they just went from like one or two dollars to to sixteen or seventeen dollars in the last couple of weeks. So a lot of this stuff is I can't really I don't think I can recall one company that's done really well with their social media that they've done well because of their social media, right? Like another company I'm looking at is is Zoom. I don't think they do particularly well there either. So um I think if you're talking about paid media, like social advertising, maybe, but um just kind of branding, not really nothing nothing that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think you made a lot of really good points. And the reason I asked that is because everybody's always looking for an edge or the next big company, right? I mean, we know Google, Facebook, Amazon, we know all those companies these days. So people are looking for the next Amazon, the next Google, the next Facebook. And so I've always been curious as to, from someone who knows the digital marketing space as well as you do, if there might be an opportunity to identify a good investment by looking at something that not a lot of people are looking at, such as a company's brand, their digital media overall strategy, social media brand, things of that nature. But it doesn't sound like you think yeah. there's a, a hidden opportunity there. It's the fundamentals, right? You probably have experts um, that are far better suited to talk about this. But I mean, here's what I'll say. The thing that's helped me pick out who I want to stick with long-term is Twitter. And by the way, this, this um, COVID-19, where I've got the bulk of my information has been from Twitter. So I think it's the what's important, the, the, the feedback I can give is, or tip I can give is you got to think about your information diet. So the people I primarily follow on Twitter are entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. So they, there's a lot of data in there. They talk about the companies they talk about, the information they're consuming, and I consume that as well. And I get a lot of benefit from that because I get more insight into the companies that are you know really good that I already like. And then what I'll do is I'll just look at the fundamentals. I'll study you know the the annual reports and then just kind of work off of that. But again, I don't think I think what I can say is going back to Casper as an example, you can see. From social advertising or marketing, that's a case study that you do not want to follow, right? You want to you want strong business fundamentals, and that's what they don't have because literally what they're doing is they're spending all this money to acquire a customer, and then when the when they acquire the customer, they're basically they're they're lighting three hundred four hundred dollars on fire, right? So sure, you know they have a good brand, you know purple, and they have good marketing. And by the way, you look at all these direct to consumer companies; a lot of them are going up in flames right now because. They raised too much money. They got on the hamster wheel of marketing, which the paid advertising hamster wheel. They built 
you know, some of them built pretty good brands, right? And even from there, it still wasn't able to to kind of hold from them. Like they got marketing right, but marketing on its own is not enough. You got to build, you know, you you got to have strong retention. Uh, if you have a product, you know, like a, especially like a subscription business, and you have to have strong business fundamentals. So again, I think going back to your your, your last question, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, and with the rise of some of the companies you mentioned, Casper, even Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, even Peloton, more recently, they've all had, I'd say, pretty good branding, but they haven't necessarily led to great investment opportunities. So I think you're definitely right. I was just, I've always thought about if there was a good way to identify early companies using that. I think Peloton's great, by the way. I mean, I I have one sitting behind me, and then um, you know, I, I'm an investor in in, in the company. I, I think, by the way, like if we think about Peloton, like sure, they have you know good branding, they do well on on social, but at the end of the day, what you're looking is looking at so un- underlying numbers. You know, they have two million subscribers paying thirty nine dollars a month. They're probably not going to churn because it's very cheap. It's almost the cost of like a Soul Cycle class for for monthly subscription. And if you wanted to get a loan for the bike, you pay no interest on it through a firm. And so it seems to make sense. And they're building cheaper versions too, right? Because especially in our time period right now, where a lot of people are staying home, it makes sense. And it's a great product. So we talked about strong business fundamentals. We also talked about great product. We talked about strong retention. They got that part locked down. So I think they're going to do well, but you know, time will tell. But to go back to your point, you're not investing in them just because they have a good Definitely marketing not. campaign or good branding, even though they do. Nope. So to wrap up the show, what's an opinion you have or a piece of advice that you give to entrepreneurs or side hustlers that not everyone agrees with, but you think is sound advice? I think the new way of doing marketing right now is building products and giving at least having a freemium version, which is just a, you know, you have a free version that's crippled that has like a lot of standard features and you just let people upgrade, right? Now, the big companies are doing this well, but I think the vast majority of people are, are probably, they're too scared. They don't think they can do it. They think it's too costly. It's going to take too long. But the sooner you can get something going that's pretty good and give it away as a widget, if it's actually good, it's going to grow in terms of word of mouth, SEO perspective, people are going to link to it. And so um, get a lot more usage. And then you know once you get them into your app, then you can try to upsell them. For those listening today that want to learn more about you or just different digital marketing strategies, where can they go to connect with you? So they can listen to the podcast. It's called Leveling Up. Just um, if you Google Leveling Up Eric Sue or whatever podcast app you're using, you can do that. And then um, you can always always DM me on Instagram. It's at Eric O as in orange, S as in sugar, I-U at Eric Sue. I'll be sure to put a link to those things in the show notes so that everybody listening can go check it out. I'll also put a link to all of other Eric's other resources so you can go check those out as well. Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.